Welcome to Season 2 of the Week Pastor Podcast, where we view Christianity through the lens of vulnerability. Welcome to the Week Pastor Podcast. We are so delighted that you have joined us again this week for a fresh, brand new episode. That sounded nice. That cadence was nice, right? <laughs> that was nice. That was I know, nice. I don't know. I like Did you that. you practice like that. that this morning? No, I didn't. It just kind of came naturally, and wow. I wish we had like a little beat to it, so it sounds like a little rap. Oh, but anyway... My son's been inspiring me. He's been making me listen to Drake in the car and Lil Baby and some of those other artists that I don't know who they are. Drake? Uh, but um, anyway. Do you know who I'm really into? Who? Bad Bunny. Oh, my gosh. I don't love tell me Bad Bunny. He's so into Bad Bunny. He's so into Bad Bunny. He's okay. so good. All right. Um, okay. Anyway. Anyway, uh, we're... We're, we have an important question to ask, and because we're still kind of in like early 2023, um, our last podcast, I did talk about, you know, what excites you about 2023, Sua. I want to ask you this question. What makes you nervous about 2023 or what brings you some fear, maybe anxiety for 2023? Because that's legit. I think there's people in the audience that when they think about this upcoming year, they're probably dealing with some serious, like, you know, anxiety, fears, and maybe just a bit nervous about this upcoming year. So I don't know if you have any, um, but I do. So I can go first. Yeah, if why it's don't okay. you go? Yeah, yes. I'm going to go first. Please All right. go. So um, every year, you know this, Sua, because you've been a part of our church for a long time. We have a Christmas offering. And every year, it's, you know, it's a challenge to raise the Christmas offering. And this year, um, you know, we, the last couple of years, we've kind of kept the same because of COVID and stuff like that. Uh, but this year, we definitely raised it up higher. It's about $227,000 for the Christmas offering. And I always wow. get nervous <laughs> about not raising. Wait, is that the highest the it's entire... ever been? No, no, it's not. It's not. Oh, I think okay. the highest it was was like 270 or something okay. like that. But like around there. But somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, part of this has to do a big, a, a good a, a portion of this offering is going towards like our renovations of our office. And and then all the other organizations that we support, which is the Melee, um, you know, we support uh, Metro Community Center, all the after school program stuff that we do there, you know, and then we support these missionaries and then we support an organization that does really great work for pastors who are really struggling right now. Forty mm. percent of pastors are thinking about quitting right now. So like this organization, they, they do things to just really love and care and mentor pastors so that they continue to stay in ministry. And they don't leave because pastors are dropping like flies right now. So it's a it's a it's an epidemic. Twelve hundred pastors, I'll say this: twelve hundred pastors a month quit in America right now. So it's a it's a it's a pandemic right now. So so uh, so this organization, another organization that we support in that. So I get a little nervous about it, and um, I always you know towards the end of January, I'm like, are we going to do this or not? So I get nervous about that. Um, but God's always faithful, no matter what. We get the right amount, and I'm grateful for that. So that I am a little bit nervous and anxious about. I would say maybe the only other one. I don't know if I'm nervous about it because I just kind of trust in the Lord. Um, my son has been working so hard on getting stronger with his baseball, and he's been working so hard at doing better academically. <laughs> like he really has upped his game. Wow, because, like, good for him. Coaches are allowed, like, hey, like. Then they won't even talk to you if you don't have the right GPA for their school and stuff huh. like that. So he's working so hard. I mean, Sua, he's getting up at 4 30 in the morning and he's driving to the gym and he's training by himself. Wow. I'm like, wow, that's up, amazing. He's getting up before me. That you know? is wild. And I'm just like, dude, like, I feel bad. I'm like, why don't you just like sleep in? Like, take it easy, dude. <laughs> but every day he does this, he does this Monday to Friday. Every day he'll go wow. 
Um, I actually Tuesdays and Thursdays he works out at a different place, you know, f- with his friends. It's like a baseball workout program that they do. And then uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday he gets up at four thirty in the morning and he goes to the gym. And without fail, he'll do it. And it's crazy. So he's putting all this work in and effort and stuff like that. And yeah, you know, I guess the, the nervous part about it is that you know I think he really does want to play a high level college baseball. We mm-hmm. don't know at what level yet. But uh, I guess what gets nervous, what's get what gets me a bit nervous and maybe anxious is that maybe that might not come, that might not happen. So you know, anyway, yeah. And I think he would really like to play, you know, Division One ball. I don't know if that's going to be possible, um, but he's working really hard to get there. You know, he's definitely capable of playing, you know, Division Three, Division Two. But I think he really wants to get to the Division One level, and he's realizing that he's got to he's got to get stronger, he's got to get bigger, you know, in order for that to happen. And so he's training so hard, and I'm like, man, dude, like. You know, he's 16, 17 years old and he, and he's doing this. And I just feel like, okay, it's good. It's good. But but anyways, I get I, I that would be probably another thing that gets me a little bit nervous, a bit anxious about when I think about him because 20 this is gonna be his big year, his junior year. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, this could be huge. the year where colleges are able to connect and talk with him and stuff like that. So we'll see what happens. I told him like there's so much you can do. Like you you're doing everything you can in your own power. And I what I tell him, I said, that's great, right? Because you're doing your part, but God has right. to do his part too. And I told him like if you're not connecting with God and if you're not relying upon him during this season for you, like it's going to be really difficult. So like, yes, you got to do your part, but you also got to like really rely upon the Lord. And I think he's finally getting that more. So hopefully we're working through that, but that gets me a little nervous. I'm going to be honest because he's working so hard and I hope that, you know, that uh, good things will happen. I hope good things will happen. So it's like parenting is such an ironic thing. Because, you know, usually you become a parent and then like yeah. in your 30s and 40s, you kind of, most of us, if we're emotionally healthy in our journey, we purge a lot of our like toxic habits. Like we have less anxiety about things because if we're Christian, like we've learned to really trust in God because he's so faithful. And then come along our children with their own yes. like growth yes, yes, journey. Yes. And yes. because there are extension biologically, but also like spiritually, like we have to relive like all of the anxiety all over again in a different way. And it's even worse because it's even worse for your children because like to watch them and not be able to do anything. Exactly. It's so much worse. This is the irony. It's so much worse. It's so much worse. And uh, yeah, it is. And like every year, like this is the year you're always like, okay, you know, like wintertime, you have a lot of hope and expectations because this wintertime and you're like, okay, this is going to be great. And then when the season starts is when like, you know, it really hits the grind and and now he's got to go and he's got to do his best and stuff like that. And the great thing about him, which is different from me, is that his temperament is so different from mine mm. because he's he's like Jenny. He's very like just like emotionally like he's healthy, but like, you know, he's he gets nervous and stuff like that. But he's he's such a calm presence about him. And, uh, you know, he recently got pulled over by a cop and he just got his license like a couple of weeks ago. Oh um, he, he was driving his grandmother home and he got pulled over because in Leonia, if you don't let pedestrians cross the street um, and you don't stop for them, you get like a $350 ticket. <gasps> it's crazy. Wow. And so he got stopped by a cop and he texts me, Dad, I just got stopped by a cop and I'm freaking out. I'm like... Oh my God, I didn't even put you on my insurance plan yet. I was like, come on, man. Like, my insurance is going to go up like so much more now. I'm like, oh, I was like, Christian, just beg him, beg him not to give you a ticket. And because he lives in Leonia and he didn't know that, you know, he just got his license, they let him off, you know? Wow. It's God's favor right there. I think if he wasn't a Leonia resident, he finally got a ticket. And then when he came back home, I'm like, were you scared? Were you nervous? And he goes, no. I'm like, what? I was like, how could you not be? Like, 
thinking about the consequences if you if you get this ticket. You just got your license, like you know. And he was just like, no. And I'm just like, that that's a good thing. He's got that kind of calm presence. So like even in tense situations, he can kind of remain cool. So we'll Do see you what happens. He's like that. And again, not to go off topic, which we seem to be doing a lot of these days. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's like that because like he knows like his dad's got his back? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know, man. I just I, I try to think through that a little bit. I, I think he I think he he takes on like a lot of my wife's personality. So he definitely has that. Christina's like me. Like she she'd be freaking out, man. She'd probably be crying in the car, you know, and stuff. Um, you know, and stuff. She's a lot more emotional. Christian is Christian is more like Jenny. She's he's very calm, you know, in that way. But I don't know. I, I I don't I don't know if my son has really lived his life, you know. Um, and this is the part that kind of worries me about all three of my kids. I don't know if he's ever really experienced something in his life that would cause him to be really afraid, and uh, and things like that. And so I think in some ways that's a good thing, but I think in some ways it's a bad thing but too. You know, I'm 39 then... and I still haven't hit one, and I think I'm doing okay. Okay, good, good. Well, then let's hope. <laughs> let's hope that's going to be the case. Because one of my one of my greatest fears, and this is maybe to answer this, it's like I wonder how my kids are going to handle like tragedy in their life. Like, okay, do they can I have tell you something funny, though? the proper emotional faculties to deal with that? So I don't. I can't um, answer that. Years ago, when Michael Zavada was on staff, mm. um, he and I would go out to eat lunch a couple of times, and like mm. we would talk about things. And one time, we were laughing at you because you kept saying, "I wish something really terrible would happen to my kids so that they can learn how to struggle." <laughs> yes, because yes, because I then in a few years, when they're older and real struggles come, they're not going to know how to handle it. Yeah. And Michael Z and I, both being social workers, we were laughing at you because we were like, <laughs> that's literally so not like that's like totally opposite of what you're supposed to be having in a childhood, because the more <laughs> stable childhood you have, the better like the better you are at handling oh, uh, problems I've later seen, on. I've seen the reverse, though, Sua. I've seen people who've never struggled growing like as a child. They haven't struggled. So then when they become an adult and they go through hardships, they just can't handle it. They just have a complete meltdown. Not to go off topic, but I think that um, what you're missing, though, is that nobody's life is immune from struggles. Mm. And the struggle has to match the actual developmental stage of the person. So, for example, if my child is five and and she's having issues with friends not playing with her on the playground, yeah. we might be like, that seems like not a very big deal, but that is yeah. her entire universe. Yeah. Right. And that struggle could be just as effective if she can handle it well mm-hmm. than like a dad who abuses her, which is completely out of her control. And that was so- my life. I was, I remember my earliest recollection is like when I was like five years old is when my dad started to beat me. You right. Know? <laughs> but but I don't but I guess my point is you don't yeah. have to have an abusive true, family true, true. or, you know, I, your family go bankrupt for you yeah. to experience struggle because each person has their own true, struggles and true. it matters more yeah. whether you learn to cope effectively with it than yeah. the actual degree of the struggle. But anyway, I, tying I, this but, back but, in. But, yes. Yeah. But I will tell you this, though, Sua, like Jenny and I, we said this recently because, you know, my girls are home from college and they really, the three of them, they really like each other. Who's the three? Like Christian, Christina, Christian, Kayla Kayla and Christina. Okay. And so like, like I took a picture because I thought it was so cute. Like it was like, like, it was at nighttime. You know, it wasn't bedtime yet, but 
they were all there laying down. And Chris, Christian has a full size bed, a full size bed, just three of them. They're just laying down That's together. So cute. And they were just laughing. That and is talking. so cute. And I took a picture of it. And Jen and I saw it. And then we just like we let them carry on. And we went downstairs and into our room. And I and she said this. She said, you know what? I don't care how successful my kids become. Like, I'm just happy to know, like, to me, I see this as a true success that no matter what happens in their life, like good, bad, you know, especially bad, that they'll always have each other. Mm. Three of them, they'll always be so there to true. support each other. And to me, she's like, and she basically said this, like in maybe not so short a word, she said that to me is more important than them making, you know, millions of dollars or being successful in whatever they do, that they have each other and that they love each other and they'll always be there to support each other and have each other's back. And I was like, you're right. So I feel I love comforted, it. I comforted love it. because they have that kind of relationship and they are all really like into each other, which is really cool. So that's cool. Love and that. That's not, and that's not easy to say because one's 21, one's 19 and oh, it's going to be 19, I think. Kayla, I keep forgetting her age. I think 19. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, that's not nice to do to the middle child. What? I have no excuse. Her birthday, like her, the year of her life is the same as Metro's. Oh my goodness. Because so, they were born in the same year. So I have no excuse. So she is going to be 19. Okay, so 19. And the other one's 17. And they still really like each other. So I feel more comforted because I of that. I so, love anyway. that. All right. What about you, girl? Do well, you have anything that causes you anxiety, nervousness? I'm going to go with the topic. Uh, so recently I saw a thing on Instagram and it was like... um it was like, oh, it's really wild having a partner that doesn't have anxiety. They just sit there eating a snack, maybe watching TV, not worrying about anything. It's like so crazy. That's that me. <laughs> like I have very little anxiety in life in general. Yes, um, like yes, one time that, that my friend true. Jen Shin, who's been on the podcast before, yes. like said to me, like, do you not feel emotions? And I was like, I feel joy. <laughs> <laughs> Like sometimes Dude, I feel I anger. Bet you, I bet you there are um, times like the way you hate me when you read my papers. I bet you there. Are I don't hate you because she... I discipline myself to only okay. read three no, a no, day. No, no, but still, but I bet you there are times where she's like feeling like that towards you. Sometimes, like I can't believe this woman only experiences joy. No, I absolutely think. No, I will say I was really angry at you this past time editing your thing because you made your graphs uneditable, <laughs> and I had to leave spelling errors. Because I couldn't like edit no, it. So I, then I, even told you, I just didn't do punctuation. Well, remember I said to you, I said, PP, do you want did, me to reveal what you did, wrote did wrong? Because I, I it's still burn in my... I made spelling errors? Oh there my was gosh. one spelling error. I actually was able to fix this. Don't wow. even ask me how. You misspelled principles and you spelled it with a principle, like the way, like the person, like the principal had principle, but it was like principles wait, of a weak wait. church. I can't. Wait, okay. But how did you fix it? Did you just take a picture and do something? And don't ask me. But you're the, amazing. The OCD. Oh, okay. No, I, I can't not, talk about I am OCD. Not That's actually not appropriate not to make okay. fun of OCD. But basically, I couldn't let it be. Oh, um, but I'm best. just saying. Hold on. I don't know what I was talking about now. But yeah. So basically, you're always happy. Yeah. My hope. temperament. Yes. By nature, and I can't even attribute this to like God. Like mm. in general, like I just am a non-anxious person. So um, great. That's so, so great. So great. It's I I think part of it is the fact that I just I miss a lot of things. Like I'm not very observant. And so I think the more you observe, the more anxious you become mm. because you notice too much. Versus yeah. if you kind of gloss over most things and you don't notice mm. things, you don't have much to be really anxious about. Like I don't sit there and think about scenarios and think 
five steps ahead, what will happen? Like, I just rarely do that. My thinking mostly ends at one step. Like after this, this could happen. Whereas like I have friends or like even John, he's like, if I do this, this will happen. And then this would happen. And then this could happen. And then this could happen. And usually it's like worst case scenario, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. which is a nightmare when it comes to parenting versus for me, <laughs> it's like, okay, if I do this, this could happen. Mm. And then that's where I stop. <laughs> so I can't really get that back. So I think what our audience needs to know is this simplicity of thinking is one of the best ways that leads to a pathway of joy. So don't complicate things too much. Simplicity. It's not a choice though, I think. But anyway. I think it's very biblical. I think it's very biblical. So going back to the question, I don't have that you much have that any. I'm anxious about. Yes. I will yes. say I'm a little excited, but also anxious because about turning 39. Because Ooh. the other day, like this past month, I found three white hairs and I have like never found white hairs before. Maybe once or twice. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, gonna, it's it's gonna come with fury, my my sister. <gasps> uh, I, but, but the great thing is, is if you if if the first if you only found gray hair at the age of close to thirty nine, you're doing pretty good. You three, I found three. You have some fantastic genetics, okay? Because my wife has had gray hair since she was like fifteen years old. Okay. I think that's abnormal. It's very abnormal. Her, it's it's her father, and okay. um, he has, yeah. So anyway, but if Jenny didn't dye her hair, it would be one hundred percent gray. Really? Yeah. Are her siblings like that? Uh, yeah, but she's the worst. She has the worst oh. out of all of them, that's and wild. she would be one hundred percent gray. Like, so there was during the pandemic, uh, you know, she didn't have to go to work. She didn't. She didn't dye her hair for like four months. Was it like silver? Oh my gosh. It was it was very silver. Yeah. And I was like, oh. And then she ended up one day dying it. And I was like, oh wow. I was like, okay. I was it like, looks wow. so different. I was like, I have a new wife. Okay, here we go. Who is the, who this who this yeah, trophy, trophy wife? Yeah, yeah. So she was like, she always says to me, she goes, Peter, I have to dye my hair because of you, because you don't have that many gray hair. And people are you gonna don't. be like, wow. They're gonna be like, why is why is he? Who's this old lady? <laughs> That's what she says. Like but that is mom? hair makes a big visual impact. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And so I do have gray hair, but when I like put some gel in it, you can't see it. It's but like you know, all black. Don't let me get on my soapbox about the um, disparate like standards we have for men and women. Yeah, because you know everyone always fair. thinks like, oh, like George Clooney, he's so yes. dreamy. Yes. George Clooney has gray hair and a bunch of wrinkles. Okay, yes. if we took a woman and gave her gray hair yes. and a bunch of wrinkles, nobody would be like she's a silver fox. Everyone would be like she's old. Yes. So Which don't is really even terrible. let me get yes. on the. Don't even. I, I mean, I already I did, but don't let me. I won't. I won't. Stop let me you. now. Hold okay. me back. <laughs> All right. So there's really nothing that's making you nervous except for those three gray hairs that you see. Okay. okay. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm very thankful. Okay. This is what I teach my kids to well, say. You know, We're just very thankful so for where if, we are. If it, if it ever gets out of hand, you can remember the uh our first couple of episodes we did, you can find some hair plugs. The little comb hair plugs, oh whatever my those gosh, are. no. <laughs> that, that, no. That, that guy. No, and, that's and not you? what no. <laughs> No, that wasn't hair plugs. It was hair clips. Oh yeah, hair clips. You can buy those hair like hair clips. You can get like a little red or something. Alopecia. Like my hair's not falling out. <laughs> I'm just getting gray no, hair. I know. I, sorry, sorry, sorry. You could always get like yeah, and then oh, cover geez. up your grays. Like extensions. Sorry, I, I think I'm. I think I got you. <laughs> I got you scared. I was like, what about getting hair plugs? <laughs> that, those that things was hurt. By the way, apparently those things hilarious. hurt. 
grill. Oh, oh, no, absolutely. like hair. I can imagine like hair, they're literally like hair implants inside your scalp. Yeah, yeah. I heard it really hurts. That's hurt. so painful. So painful. Anyway, so painful. Anyway, all right. So today, Sua, we're gonna do something that you know we're gonna kind of. Last season, you interviewed me about ministry, about church, and things like that. And I know we barely got through like your questions, mm-hmm. and we thought today would be really nice for you to kind of do a part two, but to ask some of the other questions that you had on your list, just about ministry, because I do know that there are a lot of pastors and church leaders that actually listen to this podcast, and I think it could potentially maybe be helpful for them as you ask me some questions. So I'm going to let you take over, and I'm just going to answer. I have a bunch of questions. We might not go in this order as we never do, because we never usually stick to a script, um, Yes, because you like to be No scripts allowed. Yes, no scripts allowed. So I have, and I, don't I have even know like these questions. I don't even know what you're going to ask. Yeah, me. you don't know. You don't know. Yeah. I might ask you some real salacious things. Mm. Um, I won't. I won't. Let's go. Um, well, can't make any promises. No, okay, no promises. let's start tame. Let's start tame. You know, I actually wanted to ask you this question because um, somebody was asking me about my thoughts on it recently, and mm. I thought maybe you could give us a, an answer to this. The question was, um, like, how do you know? when you've actually been called to ministry because mm-hmm. i have a lot of friends who over a series of years have said to me and they were working in like secular jobs yeah. and they've come up to me and said you know i really feel like god is calling me to ministry you know and some of those people have gone on to quit their jobs a lot of them have not yeah. right and i always wonder like did god actually call them at that point or was it did they hear wrong like is there something that you know firmly for yourself like i was 100% called into ministry and there was nothing else for me? Mm. It's a great question. Really, really great question. And I would say that you won't fully know it until you actually try it. Like that is a terrible finish. answer. Yeah. No, really, really. Like you won't fully know until you actually give it a go. Uh, but here, here, here's what I will say. Um, like for me, the I think I've shared this in previous podcasts, you know, like trying to figure out your calling and is God calling me to do this, whether it's ministry or anything else, you got to ask yourself, like, if, you know, money, circumstances, education, family uh, wasn't an issue, what would you be doing with your life? I think God wants you to do something that you're very passionate about, right? And so whatever that might be, that could be the calling that God places upon your life. The other thing I think you need to do is you need to have people confirm it. Like, you can't do a, just a, like a spiritual bungee jump and be like, okay, well, I'm going to quit my job now and I'm going to go be a pastor. Like, well, listen, if you're married... You cannot be a pastor unless your spouse says, yes, I support it. I I confirm the calling that God's placed on your life. If your spouse doesn't do that, then you're not called to be a pastor. You know what I'm saying? So that has to be important because God will speak through the symphony of his people. And you have to have some people in your life who really, really know you. And you can just say, well, I need to know, am I called to be a pastor or not? Can you pray with me and let me know? Now, here's the thing. Here's the kicker. You have to then, whatever they say, you have to do it. Like if like if they all come back and say, yes, you're called to be a pastor, and then you don't do it, yikes. Hmm. Yikes. You you will, I think you will live a very, very um hollow, uh, meaningless life. Because not everyone, honestly, not every Christian knows what God has called them to do with their lives. And if God's actually revealed it to you and you say no, it's like Jonah, right? Mm. You got you got eaten up by the whale. And uh, so any event, uh, you know, that's the thing. So if you sense a calling from God and you get it confirmed 
through, you know, through people who really know you and you decide not to do it. I have seen not a lot of cases, but a few cases over their 18 years of Metro where that's been the case. And honestly, their lives have taken a much worse turn because they just thought, okay, I can hear it. I don't have to obey it, whatever. And I'll just, you're, you're dedicating your life to doing something that, you know, God never created you to do. And so uh, I think you have to, you, you have to realize that uh, if you really want to know the calling of God before you want to know it, you better be willing to obey it when he shares it with you. You better be willing to do it. So I think that's a big part. So I remember when you shared, and you've shared this previously on the podcast about how when you were called into ministry, you were really, really shocked because you just mm -hmm. felt like you were not the type of person yes. that you imagined going into ministry or being a pastor. Mm -hmm. At that point, I'm imagining your self-awareness was much more limited than it is now. Like, you know, much more yeah. about yourself and how you've yep. been wired. Um, yep. And we each have our unique sets of gifts. And also we have weaknesses, right? Yeah. So in your opinion, over the, I guess, like almost 20 years of ministry, is it 20 years of ministry yeah. at this point? Yep. How do you think your personality has like helped or hindered you in your ministry? Like the unique ways in which you've been wired, how has that helped you in your ministry and how has it hindered you oh wow ministry? that's a fantastic question uh so i'll just uh, if i just go back to your previous question so when god called me into ministry um i actually had a few people pray with me like my pastor mm. pray with me uh confirming it uh, a couple of my close friends praying with me confirming it so like even back then i knew i needed to have other people to confirm this because mm -hmm. if i can't if it's just me, I'm not doing this. Yeah. Right. And Jenny, Jenny embraced it and she wasn't thrilled about it, but she's like, no, I sense that too. But she just didn't want me to go to California to do seminary. She's like, can you just stay here? Like, you know, my, my sister just moved to Michigan because she got married. Yeah. Really, really put a dent in our family. Like, can we do something local? And so that's what she really wanted. But I was like, I think God's calling us to California. And uh, I'm so grateful, you know, we both listened and we went out there. So that's, that's important. I would say the things I think that really help my personality is, <laughs> uh, I, the things I'll, I'll go with the good stuff first. All right. Uh, <laughs> I am, I am, I am wired for church planting because I like to start things. Um, I, I, um, I'm a type A personality. Uh, I'm visionary. Um, I'm pretty intense. I like to, I like to accomplish things. I like to get things. If I set goals for myself, I, I, I love to get it done. Like I don't like setting a goal. And I think one of the worst things for me is not meeting it. Like, cause you know, my Myers-Briggs is I'm a J and J's have to get their things done. So they won't, I won't start something like for me, I won't try to put together an Ikea. Like I'm not the type of person that sees an Ikea furniture. Like if Jenny buys something and she's like, well, can you put this together for me? I won't do it. <laughs> What do you because, mean you won't do it? Because I know I can't do it. I know I'm not going to be able to accomplish it. Wait, which part of it? I'm terrible at building things. I've tried. Like, Sua, there was, you, you know this, there was a bookcase in my office and it was sideways. <laughs> I actually think I remember this. Because I couldn't even put a book. I can't even put a bookcase together. <laughs> How am I going to put together like, like, a, like something else, like more like, you know, like, a, like a drawer? So I call her. I said... <laughs> I will hand you the screwdrivers. If you need me to tighten stuff, loosen things up, carry the thing, I will do that for you. But I am not, I am not going to try to figure out how to put this together. So 
That's kind of how I'm wired. So, so I kind of mm-hmm. know, I kind of know. So I am kind of an intense. I think I, I, especially at the beginning, my personality is that I really want to make sure that, you know, people are relationally connecting with each other, like our core team and stuff like that. Like I knew that I think I have a pretty good sense of that. I'm good at kind of reading people's emotions, kind of able to know, like, you know, people are doing okay if they're not doing okay and stuff like that. Uh, if they're angry with somebody, I'm able to kind of like confront. So I think I was able to kind of do that. Uh, in the beginning, uh, I think the area that my personality hurts people is that I'm so goal focused. Sometimes, um, I think I, I I don't fully understand that I can actually hurt people. Uh, I think that's a that's one uh, one thing about me that I think is is not is not good. The other thing is that um, because I move at a lightning pace, usually mm. most people can't keep up with me. And I think that's a that's a thing that I have to I've learned over the years that I have to slow down and I have to accept the fact that um, you know that that it's okay to go at a slow speed and not get everything done. Like I've, I've, I've over the past nineteen years, I've learned that I've learned that it's much better to go with the entire team than to tell the team, "No, you're going to follow me, and here's how it has to happen." And so I have made so many concessions over the years and just realizing, no, I just got to go with what the staff feels rather than what I think. Unless it's something like completely like, like I'm totally against, then that might be different. But I've learned over the years that that's important. Um, I've learned over the years that I do quote unquote play favorites. Hmm. And Isn't I'll, this a I'll, recent revelation? Yes, Didn't you talk about this revelation. in a podcast? I just want to thank one of my elders, Lisa Ra, who's uh, no, not Lisa Ra. It was it was Tasia. She said, uh, "You know, how do you think your staff handles?" Lisa, we the- love you too. Yes, uh, Lisa is the one who told me I, I have ADHD, <laughs> and I was so offended. I was so so. Basically, what happened <laughs> was is this: I asked my elders to give me feedback. Like I just said, "Hey, could you just like share with me some things that you think I might need to grow in, or maybe some things like you've noticed in my leadership that I, that I need to know about?" And so, and so, this one elder said to me, "She said, how do you think like your staff handles the fact that you play favorites?" And I was like. Are you kidding me? Like, I don't play favorites. Like, give me a break. Like, I can connect with anyone. And so then I called up about four or five of my staff members and I'm like, Do you think I play favorites? And they're like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so yeah. funny. And I was like, What? And, you know, I think uh, David was really good at kind of helping me to understand, like, even Naj, they said, Yeah, you do. But I think part of it is that Peter, like, you get to, you get along so well with certain staff people because they're similar to you. Like, they like sports like you, they like certain things. And because of that, you're just naturally more drawn to them than others, you know, and stuff. And so, yeah, you know, I think, uh, Wait, you know, I don't. Can I tell you something funny about that, though? Yeah. And maybe you're going to tell me that I'm completely deluded. But after that episode, I said to John, I said, do you think Pastor Peter plays favorites? I don't really know if he plays favorites. I don't remember feeling like he played favorites. And John goes, that's because you are a favorite. <laughs> Yo, John, John's John's so prophetic. He was like, you know, people with privilege don't usually know it. Yeah. John, touche, man. That's so true. That's really so funny. True. Yeah. Anyway. So like you and I, like our personalities, we get along so well, right? And stuff like that. And yeah, and then there's just some folks that, you know, that are so different and so it's harder, but I've tried to be so much more consciously like aware of this reality that I have to be careful because I'm just naturally drawn to certain mm, people and yeah. they energize me. And then there's some people that don't energize me and I have to be careful and I have to realize that even the ones who don't energize me, I have to make sure that I am trying to 
you know, kind of give them the attention I know that they need as well. And so that we can do that. Cause I, the last thing I want is anyone to be like, Oh yeah, well that's his favorite. That's his favorite. That Whatever. is, I mean, obviously that's a really interesting um, thing to think about like pastors. Cause you know, at the end of the day, pastors are people and yeah. it's really hard to, ha- I guess my, it's, it's really difficult to not have pe- certain people just more easy to kind of, vibe with because yeah. at the end of the day like we all have different personalities and not everybody yeah. can get along the same way with everyone else so it yep. is very interesting i guess when it comes to your role as being a pastor because it's not so much like corporate where basically you're just delegating um like tasks like it's yeah. much more life on life so yes. i guess it does play a different kind of role but my next question tying in with that would okay. be um when I was at Metro years ago, I remember Kevin frequently, there was a period of time when Pastor Kevin, who was on staff at the time, was kind of alluding to this fact. Who was the that, executive pastor at the time. Yeah. yeah, he was the executive pastor at the time. And he kept he was alluding to this thing. And hopefully, Kevin, if I'm saying this wrong, you will not hate me. Um, but he I'm was sure trying to listening. illuminate. I know. He was yeah. trying to illuminate to you, but also to us, that you as senior pastor had a lot of power, yeah, but yeah. you were completely oblivious to it. Yes, yes. Um, and I think this plays in a little bit with the previous thing about how, quote unquote, if you were playing favorites, it would be fine if I was playing favorites, yeah. you know, because like yeah. I'm just another staff member. So yeah. if I get along better with this person or this person, yeah. it's not a big deal. But it, it becomes completely different when the senior pastor gets along better or makes mm, it evident mm-mm. because you have mm-mm. so much more power yes. in your role than I yes. do. So yes. how have how has like your awareness of the power that comes with your role kind of evolved over the years? And how do you, where do you see yourself going forward with that? Um I've wrestled with my power um a lot actually. And I think in the beginning you don't really know it because you know you start the church, but you realize no. I mean, I wasn't oblivious to it, but I knew I had power, but I just never thought it was it was that significant mm. as people kind of pointed out to me. And I think what I've learned over the years for me is that I've had to learn to submit to people so that my power is not overwhelming in my leadership at the church. And that's been really hard for me. You know, that has not been an easy thing. Um, but I've had to learn to do things, even disagreeing, um, you know, with with certain people on staff or my elder board and stuff like that. But at the same time, just saying, okay, well, let me just submit to it. Like I, you know, like at the end of the day, like, you know, like if 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 this is what the majority is feeling, I have to do that. The other thing I would say is this, and this is this is this is the danger of power. And this is, and I'll encourage anyone who's a pastor right now and they're listening, particularly if you're a senior pastor, sometimes you end up hiring people who are actually more talented and gifted than you. And like a you blessing be, and a curse. You have to be careful because you have the power to potentially, you know, either squash them, mm. elevate them, and let them take the place where they need to take, right? In, in your church, but also everywhere else. Yeah. Right? And so that podcast about Sunita a long time ago, when I shared about that, that was huge, right? Because I had all the power. I could have fired her if I wanted to, right? Mm-hmm. But like I was feeling threatened because of my own insecurity. And so I think what I've learned over the years is this, that if I can't grow in self-awareness and if I can't become more emotionally healthy in my own life and process some of these things and become healthier, 
Um, yeah, I, that, that's why I think a lot of pastors keep falling, right? Because they're just not, they're not getting to a place where they're growing in some real big self-awareness about themselves. And so like this year, I, you know, the first staff meeting we had of the year, I just sat down with like the staff and, and I did a devotional with them about the worst day in Jesus's ministry, um, where he just, like you talk about epic fail. It's like epic fail in every way. I mean, he, you know, John, I think it's John six when, like he was talking about, I'm the bread of life and all this stuff. And then his this all of his disciples, he had more than the 12 there. They didn't understand what he was saying. No. And they all left. Like they all left except for the 12. Like they all abandoned. Like you talk about the worst day in ministry. <laughs> and then his brothers, his blood-related brothers have the nerve to say, what are you doing? Why are you just hanging out here? Like you got to go to Judea. You're never going to be famous if you just stay at home and do nothing. And it's like, like you talk about like just feeling bad because like you you've lost the majority of your disciples and now your brothers are saying like you got to be famous like go perform some miracles and grow because you lost everyone like you talk about just stepping and pouring mm -hmm. salt on a wound and i just told our staff i said listen we're all going to fail you know god doesn't call us to be successful it calls us to be faithful and here's how you're going to be faithful this year i want you to grow in self-awareness in ways you've never grown in before. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to approach people on the staff because we've seen you for years. And I want you to ask them, what have you seen about me over the past couple of years that you think I might need to grow in or I might not be aware mm. of? And we just have to surround ourselves with people that are willing to speak truth into our lives. And I've been fortunate in my own life where I have been able to surround myself with people who has been able to speak really hard truth and even asking my elders like, hey, could you speak some truth into me? I need to know um, if, uh, some things that maybe you see in me. Um, I, I think I think that learning about yourself, it, does, it should never stop. And that's how I can balance the power, right? Because if I can have people speak into my junk and kind of speak into my life, then I think power uh, becomes, I think it becomes more authority than power because I think power can be very destructive. Right. God, I think, calls pastors to have authority, not power. Mm -hmm. Right. Because authority can only come through sacrifice. Right. And it's like, you know, like, yeah, the authority of like a mother's love for a child. There's, there's authority. God's authority is very th authoritative, but it comes because he gave up his son. His son died for us on the cross. God has authority. And so the goal is to have authority, not power. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of helped me over the years. And that idea of just growing in your self-awareness and knowing, yeah, that if, if you don't deal with this power, it'll destroy you like the Lord of the Rings. Power is like the the ring. You have it for too long. And if you're not growing and it doesn't transform to authority, then it'll end up destroying you, I think. So that's one of, I think that's the best way I could tell you how I've been able to deal with the power that I have. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit okay. and talk about something a little bit lighter. Um, Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Because that was a pretty heavy topic to hit early hey, on in our podcast. Um, so you've been a pastor for many, many years. And I feel like just from watching you, you're someone who still really enjoys being a pastor. Like, I don't mm -hmm. leave, watch you and say like, oh, God, this guy has been like burning out for a while. He really yeah. needs to retire. You know, like you still seem very excited about yes. um, your ministry. So what is the thing that really gets you like pumped in the morning to like, go and do your pastoral work like this is the thing that really excites you about pastoral ministry like what what is it like what is what gives you that adrenaline rush well not to sound so cheesy but at the end of the day it's you know i'm doing what god's called me to do i'm living out my purpose 
So this is what God's called me to do with my life. And so just kind of doing that, you know, I think it gives me a sense of purpose and a desire to want to keep doing this. Like I have every intentions of hoping to retire as a pastor. And I am, I, I hope I never want to quit. Um, actually, I've had moments where I did want to quit, but, uh, you know, there were just more thoughts and really just me actually wanting to do that. But, um, but for me, it's just growing, having a lot more peace. And I would just tell, I'll say this, um, we have an amazing group of people to lead our church, which is our staff. Uh, absolutely love them. And they have done such a, a wonderful job. And I think we have such a strong team where we actually like being around each other. We like supporting each other. We actually really have fun with one another. That um, it's, it, makes, it makes working and serving uh, that much more uh, easier. And uh, and just makes it a lot more fun to be together and to do this together. So, yeah, you know, me being a leader, like I just love, you know, I think Metro is a pretty healthy church. So I just love healthy organization. And so it's like I, I get to be a part of something like this and it's just a lot of fun. And I love the people that I'm working with. And uh, and so it makes it makes it so much easier. But I think at the end of the day, it's the calling, you know, because I've had my ups and downs, especially during this pandemic. And it's been hard, but like no matter what, like, I feel like God's always like teaching me new things and I'm learning and growing through it. And I'm always amazed to see like how God's transforming people's lives at the church. Like I'm always, that never gets old to me mm. when somebody experiences like a deep inner healing and they're on fire for the Lord and just seeing what their lives are becoming because of that. Like that to me is like, it's almost like a high. It's like, oh man, this is amazing. So yeah, but I would say the the you know now I'm thinking about this. The most important thing for me though, like that allows me to just keep mo moving forward in ministry. Really, I think the most of it, it's honestly it's my marriage. Hmm. You know, it's my marriage is because I have a good home life and a good family life with my kids, and that we live a happy life. Um, I think that just allows me to you know lead the church better. You know, and the fuel for my ministry comes from my marriage. And Jenny and I don't have a perfect marriage. Don't get me wrong. We're not like, you know, but we really do love each other and we try to support each other. Uh, we fight, you know, we do all of that stuff too. But but we have a good marriage where, you know, that's really become like, you know, like more of my priority. And so like the marriage, my relationship with my kids, I have some really good friends that I call my soulmates. Like to me, like all of those are like more important to me than church ministry. So like if those three things are like really intact, you know, uh, my marriage, my kids, and my my close friends, then the church really, like, in my opinion, like, it makes it much easier. Like, if those things were, like, out of whack, like, if I was struggling, like, really struggling with my marriage with Jenny, like, we're, like, on the verge of divorce, um, I don't think I could do ministry. I really don't. And so I do think maybe, and so I'm just processing this with you, I think, like, if you're really struggling in your ministry today, like, if you're a pastor and you're really, really struggling in your ministry Maybe it's not necessarily the people in your church that's driving you away from the church. Maybe it's more deeper than that. Maybe it's your personal life, right? Maybe it's um, your marriage. Maybe it's your lack of intimacy with other people and sharing and confessing, things like that. Because for me, the reason why I can keep moving forward with ministry is I just feel like the things that are the most important to me are like kind of intact and they're in a healthy place. So then it allows me to do ministry well. So I hope that answers your question. It does. I mean, it seems like you're saying that the things that give you value in your life are not necessarily primarily found in the church. It's more yeah. like your family. Yep. Um, so tying in with that, then, would you say over the course of the 20 years that you've been a pastor, yep. do you think your family, and I guess you can separate them out however you like, 
Do you think they would say that you've always prioritized them above ministry? I think so. I think you would have to ask them. You would have to ask them that. Um, I could pretty much say with certainty with Christian, it would be a yes. Um, you know, with the girl because he was the youngest. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I I spent so much time on his baseball, you know, um, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, you know, and I think with my girls as well, and and with Jenny, I think definitely not in the beginning of Metro. She would say no, mm. um, not not at all. Like I was, you know, she was like you know on the back burner for a couple of years. But when I hit that, you know, that hard time in my life at year five, I think that's when everything started to change. And I was like, okay. And, you know, the whole EHS and marriage and all that stuff, it just changed. And I realized, okay, I gotta, I gotta do this and do it well. And it's not going to happen unless I have a healthier marriage. And so, yeah. And then I was able to, you know, put things in more proportion. And the biggest thing, like, and I've shared this many times, but like, like once you can deal with your inner demons, like I wanted, like when I first started Metro, like I wanted, you know, people to spiritually lust after me. Yeah. And once I was able to deal with that temptation and it no longer was a temptation in my life, it just freed me so much. It freed me because again, I'm a very goal-oriented type mm -hmm. A person. It set me free in ways like I had never been free before because I no longer had to think about performance and things like that. And I just like, I just love the fact that I'm growing, learning about myself and I can just connect with God and that's it. And, you know, just focus on my marriage and things like that. And then it made me a much better leader as a result of it. So I do think that every pastor does have to overcome the greatest temptation that we'll struggle with is that it's not the things we are tempted by, but we just, you know, we want people to like spiritually lust after us. And until we can get rid of that temptation, it's going to be hard. Ministry can become very, you know, hard and difficult and and arduous in every way so i think that's important so you that's something you talked about in the previous interview mm -hmm. part one um so what do you think though like the question at that time that i gave you was i think um what advice would you give peter 20 years ago starting ministry yes. that you know now and i think that was kind that of that was that was my first answer. advice i give yeah um has there been something that like really surprised you about yeah. ministry? Like something that you were like, you know, I really yeah. never. And that I know that kind of is one of them, but is there something that like really about being a pastor you never expected? It could be good, it could be bad. Something that really surprised you about being a pastor, like you just never would have expected this was something that was a thing. It's it's a little embarrassing for me to share this because it, it is embarrassing. Um, I I uh, I really like when God speaks to me. I take it very seriously because he doesn't speak to me all the time. But when he speaks to me about certain things that have to happen um, in the ways of the church, like I want to make sure that happens mm -hmm. and I want to execute it. And there were times when God did that to me and even in recent years and our elder board said, no, you know, our staff would say, I don't think that's the right way. Mm. And everything in me, is saying you're wrong. You got to listen to me. You all need to submit to my authority here as the senior pastor and the founder of this church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I had to learn to submit to them. And what I've learned is simply this: like, because I, I, I believe that if I submit to them, I'm what God had told me is not going to happen. 
And so that's why there was parts of me like in the flesh, I want to fight. I want to fight it. I wanted to fight it and say, no, 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 because God spoke to me. I now have the ability to use my authority and power in a way where I can control the situation. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thankfully, again, this is why I think mentoring is really important because like, you know, people like Pete Scazzaro has poured into me and like, I, I, I love Pete. He's great. But sometimes I don't like talking to him because he's really like, he just really gives me like a real deep, like state of reality check mm -hmm. for me that bothers mm -hmm. me, but it's so true. He said, Peter, I think God is trying to break you and he could, he could be telling your elders to do something so that he can break you, even though it's a wrong decision, right? He could be doing it just because he wants you to grow in greater self-denial. And so he'll say stuff like that. And so I'm like, okay, well, listen, my, so a good mentor of mine, I better submit to that. And I do. And what shocks me is simply this. It always comes to pass, mm -hmm. Sua. The process is not what I thought it would be because I would think, here's what God's telling me. You guys should submit to it. Yeah, Peter, of course, we'll submit to it. Awesome. No, they fight it. They say no, no matter what. But at the end of the day, it could take years. God always makes it happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The process looks so much different. And what I realized, what was so important for me, what I've learned, this is the lesson that process is there because God loves me so much and he needs me to grow as a leader and as mm -hmm. a spiritual person and as a pastor. And to me, more so than the thing that he showed me is got to happen, he cares more about that process so that I can grow and that I could be more like him, right? And that is such a hard process. It is excruciating to go through. I don't like going through it. So I guess the thing that I would just say is that if you're a pastor and you have an elder board or you have some staff members and they're just constantly saying, no, 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 no. Like if God is really speaking to you, I don't want you to take it too personally and be like, well, I got to leave the church now. These guys are just, they're just, they're just like, why would they say no to like me having a Bible study or something like that? You know, I mean, I do think there's some cases where you do have to say, well, it's not worth it. This is really corrupt leadership. But I think like if you can really like see that you got good leaders they all mean well, like God will use them to break you and to help you grow in greater self-denial so that you can be more like Jesus at the end of the day. And I think that's a really, really important thing to know. And so I always realize that God will always make it happen if he speaks to you, but the process will look so different. And many times it'll be so painful, you know? And so that's, that's something that I've learned over the recent years that I think is so important. And I will tell that to every pastor that I mentor. I think that's so powerful because, um, you know, like you have a, you know, quote unquote successful church. Like it's very easy yeah. to see you and say, oh, Peter on pastor of Metro Community Church and that's who you are. But it's so um, affirming and encouraging and I don't know, just kind of crazy to think that when God sees you, he still doesn't see you as just pastor, like yeah. servant who is doing my ministry. Like he sees you as Peter whom I love, who I want to mold into the character of yeah. my son. Yeah. And that's primary always. And your always. ministry is always secondary. Always. And, yeah. you know, yeah, to us, it seems so important to get the goal met and to move the church into that direction. But to God, it's like, no, I care more about your yeah. soul. Like I care about yep. who you are and yep. who you're becoming yep. so much so that I will put this on the back burner because you're my priority. Like you are not yeah. the church. And I think that is so amazing. I mean, it really is. Sua. And like, for me, like I just, I mean, I couldn't like this, this, this happened recently, but like, it just, I couldn't stop crying. Like just realizing like, 
wow, God, you love me that much mm. that you would make me go through all of this. Like, I would never sign up for this again. But the fact that you would love me this much, like, man, like I'm standing on like holy ground here. Yeah. And I, I do want to encourage pastors, like the dark night of the soul is so important. It's so important that you wrestle with your temptations and your sins. It's so important that you stare it in the eye rather than just avoiding it and running away from it because that's when you really grow. Because, man, I had to stare sin and temptation down in ways like, you know, I, I never had to before when I struggle in ways like this in ministry. And again, it's just all to grow and and be and grow in that area of self-denial. And I had, you know, like I said, a couple people in my life that just poured into me that really helped me to get through any difficulties in ministry in a way that at the end, like God was like just on the throne, you know, and it was just really great. And so I've learned that and I realized that that is so critical for every pastor to know that, you know, leadership, elders, staff members, they're just people too. They're good people, mm -hmm. but they also sin. We all make mistakes, right? But God will always, if he speaks to you, he'll always do it, but the process will look so different and you just have to trust in him. You just have to and not wield your authority and power and all that stuff, but do it in a God-honoring way. And you'll learn so much and grow so much from it. And these, those are some of the biggest lessons I've learned. And I just realized, wow, I could never have done that. Like if our church wasn't a church that principles itself on weakness, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like it's like, that's why I really believe in this weak, weak church concept, because if a church is always finding its commonality and its strengths, then of course, like then somebody like me, I'll say, well, I'm the senior pastor. You guys got to just submit and follow me. But it's about being vulnerable, about being weak in that way. And we just have to trust in God. And so when I can do that, then that's when God's strength is perfected in me. And that's when he's able to do things that I can't do because he's doing it, not me. So I think that's probably another real big nugget uh, or something that I've learned over the years that I hope I can give to any church leader or pastor. I love that. I mean, like recently I've been thinking a lot about, it keeps coming back to me. Like, you know, when they bring the paralyzed man and then instead of healing him, Jesus is like, your sins are forgiven. Right. And everyone's right. like, oh, that is not what we that's did. That's not why he for. came to Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> like, can he you imagine the reaction? Like, um, no, like that's yeah. not. But I think so many times, like God's trying to give us the bigger thing. Yeah. But we are trying to, you're so focused on the other thing. Yeah. But Jesus is like, I want your heart. Like that's first right. and foremost, I want your heart. And so I think that's great. Okay. I'm going to switch a little bit and pivot okay. because I have some questions about church, like okay. the broader church. Yes, yes, yes. Brought yes, up this yes. whole Go idea of the seven principles, P-L-E-S, principles of a weak church. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about uh, like your like your philosophy on church in general and like yeah. capital C church right now, like the state of the church. Yeah. Um, because I think we live in a really interesting time. I mean, maybe I say that because I'm living in it and everything is just kind of subjective to myself. Yeah. But I feel like as a Christian growing up in the 80s and 90s, I mean, to me, I feel like the 90s were like such a hardcore heyday of Christian christianness like youth group rallies were happening yeah. everywhere like there were yeah. these ginormous yeah. conferences like yep. people people could go out to the streets and evangelize and you yep. wouldn't necessarily be looked at as like a negative thing like we were not associated with homophobes we were not associated with yeah. westboro baptist like you know what i'm saying like it yeah. was kind of and i feel like i've seen an evolution happen in the way mm the people people outside view the church as an institution or like jesus you know and um i know Metro used to talk about 
um, relevance as being something that's important for the church, right? Like, what yeah. does that look like over the years? And where do you think we're going, both as a larger church, but also metro specifically? Like, where do you see the church going um, in this current climate? I, I, well, I mean, it's, it's it's such a broad question, but I'll just say from my own my own. This is just my own perspective. I think the church is really headed for uh, a real, not not that it's not struggling, but um, I think the church is heading towards a place where um, we're going to be more and more insignificant uh, for people in their lives. They're going to say, "I don't need the church," right? Like, well, why should I even go back to church and be a part of the church? And I, I, that's, that's, that's just a natural reality, right? You look at all the different statistics that are happening, especially with like Pew, you know, research and stuff like that. Less and less of people are finding the need to go to church. They don't feel like they need to go anymore. And I think that we have to ask that question. Why though? Why aren't they going to church? What, what is the reasoning why? Now we can't like, we can't like figure it out in like just one or two bullet points saying this is the reason why. But I think over, over, you know, sort of like in my idea, like, and, and sort of like over the years of me doing ministry and just being here at Metro, I think the reason why the church is being less and less relevant is because we continue to find our commonality and we continue to do ministry out of a place of strength, right? And so you know a lot about this because you mm -hmm. read all my papers. But the more we keep doing that, the more we continue to come together based upon like our ethnicity, which is a strength, right? The more we come together based upon our socioeconomic class, like, you know, you got to all be college graduates, you know, like in the majority of the people in this church are all college graduates or making good money and stuff like that. The more we come together for reasons outside of our commonalities in Jesus Christ, um, I think it's going to be very difficult for the church to survive. And I think the world is finding the church to be a place where they cannot be real. And it's sort of like this idea where they like people in the church now, like in Christian churches, a lot like in my experiences growing up, they had to hide behind their righteousness. Mm -hmm. They couldn't be honest and confess their sins to each other. Because again, like the church has this level of spiritual pedigree that you have to hit, especially if you're a leader, uh, you got to be a certain level spiritually that you can't, you know, you can't be honest about your sins and confess it and things like that. And so for for me, I think the only way that we're going to have a chance, I think, going forward with the church, the only, I think, way we're going to do it is if we can really embrace this concept of that churches today should be a place where people can come and embrace their weaknesses. Because we live in a world where they can't do that, right? Churches should be a place where people can come and embrace their weaknesses so that not to claim a defeatist mentality, right? Because that's not what God wants. He doesn't want you to embrace your mm -hmm. weaknesses so that you can think you're you're crap, you're nothing. Like, right? woe that's is not me. it. No, yeah. we do it so that we become superheroes for God, right? That's the reason why we embrace our weaknesses. That these abnormalities that we see, if we can embrace it, it becomes perfect, right? Because Jesus says, "It's only in your weakness can my strength be perfected in you." And so, why can't we be more weak? when we minister, why can't we approach that and be more weakness is synonymous, at least for me today with vulnerability. We have to be more vulnerable. We have to learn to be more vulnerable with one another. And, uh, and if we can do that, uh, I think we have a chance to impact people's lives because that's a place where people can't be, people can't be vulnerable, right? And vulnerability is a really important aspect to this. And so I think if we can do that, we're going to reach people of all ages and uh, and it's going to be like new wineskin, you know, um, and drinking new wine from a new wineskin rather than drinking wine from an old wineskin. Because I think still churches today, they continue to build itself upon strength 
and doing things. And, you know, and I, 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 I still believe that God uses every church, but if we're going to reach people that are not going to church, people who don't believe in the church, I think, I think that's one of the key ways in how uh, we're going to be able to reach them. So that's the, that's the hope I have for the future of the church. I hope that more churches would be able to do that and be able to embrace and do a ministry philosophy of weakness as opposed to strength. And, you know, that really happens from, you know, it starts with the pastor. The pastor has to be very vulnerable on stage when they preach. They got to talk about their own junk and the things they struggle with as well. And to understand that, because I think that kind of sets the tone for the whole church. And then once they know that the pastor has got some issues and they screw up, <laughs> then it's going to empower other people to be honest and share as well. But if the pastor continues to preach at a place where they're preaching down to people rather than preaching up to them, then I just don't think it's parishioners are going to want to like keep coming. And, and they certainly don't feel like they can have problems. You know, um, and and I think that's the thing. And, you know, I grew up in a very like charismatic movement in the past. And, you know, like growing up in a very charismatic church, like you don't feel like you could have like it's okay to have problems, right? Because you got the yeah. spirit. Everything yeah, should be good. Everything. Everything. Yep. You know, and I remember like my friend and I, we went to this church once and it wasn't a charismatic church. And he just turned to me. This is when I was in seminary. And he said to me, he goes, Wow. Like, I actually I feel like it's okay for me to have problems. <laughs> like, you know, because he grew up in a tradition where it's not okay that if you have problems, you're living in sin, mm -hmm. right? Something is going on that's causing you to experience this. And that is so antithetical, I think, to the Bible. Yeah, there are consequences to our sins. I get that. But we have to be a place where we can be vulnerable, not only share it, but also maybe even receive some feedback letting people share some things with you that you need to hear so that you can grow. Because Jesus didn't just embrace the vulnerability of people, right? He often shared, encouraged them, and he would say, go and sin no more, right? Go and sin no more. And yeah. so I think there was a part where he spoke into the lives of people, and we need to be able to do that. And I think that's what's lacking in the church, that people aren't doing that, and they continue to just congregate out of this place of strength. And it's hard. The relationships are very superficial. And I think people need more intimacy. And I think the church has become a place where people are not growing in intimacy. And rather, they're just kind of hiding behind their strength. So, yeah. You, I mean, you know how I feel about the whole weak pastor, weak church philosophy. Yeah. Um, I love it. Like, I think Metro has been practicing it a long time before you even put it on paper, yeah. like put it in words. Like, it was something yeah. that I think you guys have been living out um, for a long time, right? From yeah. the very beginning, this was kind of like the ethos of like yeah. Metro. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, just to add a little bit of two cents, because I'm listening to you speak and I, I see what you're saying ex completely. Um, and I do have a question after this, but I, I don't know. I feel like though, one of the reasons why people can't be open about their vulnerabilities is because they still think the things that Jesus died for are still who they are. Like, okay, I'm trying to, I'm going to rephrase that. Like, yeah, say that again. Okay. So when Jesus died for us, the things that hold us captive in our lives, whatever they may be, the sins mm -hmm. that we keep mm -hmm. committing, mm -hmm. the things that mm -hmm. the oppression that we've experienced, the abuse, these things, Jesus died and mm -hmm. set us free. Yeah. They are no longer what yeah. defines us. Yeah. So they have no longer power over yep. us. Yep. But I think people don't live 
in that power of Jesus is dying and breaking yeah. those chains. And now we are free to live a resurrected life. Yeah. They still think those things hold us captive and they have so much like they, these things wield yeah. so much power over yep, our yep, lives yep. and they still think it's part of who we are right and so it's very hard for us to be open about the things that were like our vulnerabilities and yeah. the weaknesses and the sins that we commit yep. because in doing so we we feel like we're telling people this is who i am but that right. is not who we are exactly you know yep. we we are no longer those things those things yep. have died and if yep. we can just recognize that those things have no power over us any longer we will be so much freer to share our vulnerabilities the way you do on stage like yep. i cannot imagine it being easy to go up on sunday and talk about the failures of that week even if you say it's something that like you embrace yeah. as a ministry philosophy. Yeah. It's not natural to anybody no. to go up in yeah. any capacity yep. and share about our weaknesses. Our like instinct is to talk about our great successes. Like that's just natural yeah. survival instinct. And so, but you can do that because you know that those things don't define who you are and you've been set free, right? Um, and I feel like if more people were aware of the fact that these things are not who we are anymore, we have a new identity, yeah. we are a new creation, I think people would have the freedom like yeah. you do and like people in Metro do to come out and share about their struggles. Right. You know? And I, I, so I think, I think Sue, exactly what you just shared about that is the problem with churches today is because that's not Jesus. He doesn't define holiness by what we do and what we don't do. That's not how God defines mm -hmm. holiness, right? Mm -hmm. But our how we define holiness in the church is still by what we do and what we don't do. Yeah. And and that's why it's a very dangerous place to be because we believe that even till this day. And, th and that is a place of strength, right? But holiness is not it's not found in that. It's it's found in us being transparent and vulnerable. That's where holiness is. Jesus, just because he died for us and rose from the dead so that our sins could be forgiven. It's not that Jesus never expects us to not sin anymore. No, he just wants us to now know that it's not going to destroy our lives, that right. we can have hope. If we can confess it, right. if we can confess it, we're holy. And so for me, the reason why I can preach about my sins on stage is because I know that I am holy because I've already confessed this to my right. soulmate. I've already confessed it. So I am holy. I, I'm not holy because I didn't do the sin. I'm holy because I confessed it. See, that's a completely different metrics that you're operating in in your spirituality. And when you operate in your spirituality of just what you do, what you don't do, that defines your holiness, then of course you're going to like feel embarrassed. And of course you're not going to want to share what you did wrong and stuff like that. I wouldn't want to as well. And that's like you're hiding behind your quote unquote righteousness or your spirituality. But for me, I truly believe in my heart that I am never more holy when I confess my sins. It's not that I don't sin. Of course, I don't want to sin, but I'm never more holy when I confess it. And because I truly believe that in my heart, it set me free so that I don't have to live under the bondage and power of sin. And the goal is this. Like, yeah, when we sin, there is some power and influence that sin has over us, but you can't live in the bondage of it. And I think the people who are not willing to confess and share it, they live in a very deep bondage to it. And when you can share it, that's just know that that's holiness. And so this idea of weakness, that's why it's so important for churches to sort of embrace the weak church principles or the concept, because then you're going to share a different, like a different way of what you're going to define, redefine what holiness is, because the holiness has been taught in the church, what you do, what you don't do. And, and really, when you look at the gospels, that's what the religious leaders believe, right? Holiness is you can't do anything on Shabbat. You got to like, when it's Sabbath, you can't work. You can't do anything. What was Jesus doing? 
He was telling his disciples, hey, eat the grain. Don't worry about it. He was healing people on the Sabbath, right? Mm -hmm. Because they didn't get it. They still think holiness is what you do, what you don't do. And Jesus, it doesn't. Think about the disciples he picked, right? Think about the people they picked. Those guys were like chief of sinners. But yet he saw something different in them. And I think that what Jesus saw is their weaknesses and their willingness to rely upon Jesus' strength because they are weak. And that's key. And so... I think for 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 me, it's just that understanding, and 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 I think if the church will have a future, it really is changing and transforming and morphing into weakness. You know, and stuff that we you know I've been talking about in, in in that dissertation that hopefully will one day be a book, Sua, that you <laughs> will edit for me. So yeah, you better let me um, edit the graphics because I'm not doing it if you're going to put those graphics that I can't touch. <laughs> I promise you, I promise you, you, you can deal have, breaker. you can have full, full, full fledged on that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So as we, question, right? One more, as, as we, we wrap, up, wrap up, I, yeah. I have, I mean, I had, I still have not hit most of my questions, but that's fine. Um, so, okay. So as we are looking to the future, right? Like if you could encapsulate what is the actual purpose and role of a pastor like what mm. that's the first part is like what is a pastor because there's so many different like i hear that word all the time right a worship pastor a greeting pastor the campus pastor the whatever pastor and obviously i'm not saying these things are not real pastors but it gets very confusing to me like what yeah. does that mean when somebody says i am a pastor what does that mean to you when you say i peter on i am a pastor what does that mean? Yeah. And B, um, in your retirement as a pastor, this is a kind of a tricky question, but what would make you feel like you were faithful and quote unquote, I don't want to say successful necessarily in the world standards, but what would make mm. you feel like you completed your um yeah, you're calling. Oh man, those those are two great questions. All right, so I would say the just to answer your first one, uh, what is a pastor? So I I use the analogy, you know, pastors are kind of like shepherds, right? And shepherds are the best analogy I can give because shepherds care for the flock, mm -hmm. right? But more importantly, I think what a pastor should do is care for the flock by leading them to Jesus, right? The pastor is not Jesus, yeah, but you care for the flock so that they can they can connect with Jesus. Right, and that's the role of a pastor. The pastor should do that the best they can. So, if it's a a welcome ministry pastor, well, guess what? They're gonna try to welcome people that come through the church through the doorways, um, and try to show the love of God by a smile, welcoming them, helping them, especially if you're a newcomer, what they need to do, and that's a way for them to kind of lead them to God by their kindness, their hospitality, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, worship pastor, you know, through the singing of song to help people to to connect them and lead them and bring them to God, you know, things like that. Discipleship mm -hmm, pastor, mm -hmm. creating a curriculum or something like that so that they can draw people to God. So I think that's the role of a pastor uh, is to shepherd people in a way where you care for the sheep, where you lead them to God, right? And that's not always should be done through just being nice. You got to sometimes be honest and you got to mm -hmm. rebuke and you got to do all those things. So I think that's probably like the major role of a pastor. And I would say for me, when I retire, I will see myself to be successful or faithful when other pastors on our staff go on to start churches or be a part of churches where they do bigger and better things than me. That you would really, be. really feel this way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially as I'm getting older. That is like, that's legacy, right? And if we can, if I could, the folks that are on our staff have the best ability to go out and start a weak church, 
Mm. If they can go out and start this movement that I think that needs to happen, um, I think would be really amazing. And I think would change, you know, the, the Christian landscape here in America, but around the world, because anywhere in the world, you can go, whether it's a remote village in Africa or whether it's in a major city like Seoul, Korea, when you can be vulnerable and when you create that to be your strategy for ministry and your ministry philosophy, it works in any situation. I've seen it. I've spoken all over the world. I've seen how it works because again, it's in your weakness. Can God's strength be perfected in you? And so that would be me. That, that would be great for me. And I feel like as I'm getting older, like my heart is, is really like, I feel like God's shifting me to, to, to serve pastors more than just parishioners because, you know, mm -hmm. the, they're the ones that are going to start churches and stuff like that. So like, you know, when I have young folks in our, in our staff and I feel like they're called to be a past senior pastor, like I'm just telling them like, you know, it's just a matter of years and you better get out of here and start your own thing, mm. you know, and uh, and I hope you can take on the weak church principles and do it and just take it to the next place, you know, and that would, That's that awesome. to me would feel like I've truly, you know, been faithful in that way, you know, Metro doing what it needs to do, but I feel like if I can multiply mm -hmm. happening, mm -hmm. it's not just Metro, but it's all the, like a lot more churches that are doing it. I think that would make me feel real good. So that is awesome. That's Sue, exciting to think about. Yeah, it is. And Sue, you're such a great interviewer. Thank you so much. And you know what? I realize I'm going to interview you one day. Uh, what are you going to ask me about? Just, just as a lay person to speak to <laughs> okay. other lay folks. I think that would be good. So I will do that. Mine may not be. Mine will definitely be a bit more salacious. But, oh, gosh. Uh, but... You know, I don't think that's what you mean when you say weak pastor. You yeah, know, giving in to the salaciousness true. of the world. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. I I apologize for that. But anyway, Sua, thank you. I do hope this was really helpful for you. If not, um, just forgive us. But I hope it was helpful for you. And uh, if you have any questions, any forgive comments, us. you can always email me or Sua, Peter at weakpastor.org, Sua at weakpastor.org. You can comment on our Instagram, Facebook page as well. Uh, we're so grateful that you've tuned in to listen. And if you can, share the word. Share, yes. share these posts on your Facebook uh, we would love to grow our audience for this upcoming year, 2023, and uh, we'd love for you to share it. And uh, we would thank you very much for it. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Please tune thank in next you. week for a new episode. Take care. Bye. Bye.